Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Jordan, and uh, really grateful to be here with you. We are in week number four of our study through the book of Philippians, and um, we've been looking at Paul's writing, in particularly to the uh, a, a group of fellow Jesus followers in the ancient city of Philippi. And so we are in chapter four this morning, and uh, let me encourage you. Um, I don't know if you've done this. Our hope is that you've opened up your Bibles somewhere during uh, these four weeks and that you've, you've read through Philippians. Because uh, I'll just be real with you. Each and every week we've come to each chapter in Philippians. It's four chapters, a real quick read. But as we come to these chapters, like this morning, I'm gonna be real with you, like, in this next 30, 35 minutes that we have together, I'm, we're only gonna cover six verses. And there's so much more out of Paul's writing that he writes to the church of Philippi, but also to us, that I'd encourage you, go back sometime middle of the week and read through Philippians. It's a quick hitter and you'll be better for it. So if you have your Bibles, if not, it's gonna be on the screen behind me. We're gonna go to Philippians chapter four and we're gonna start in verse four. You'd be impressed, I've memorized most of this, uh, these verses, so here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always, the Apostle Paul writes. He says it again, I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, he says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is gonna guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's where I haven't memorized. It says in verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is, is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Paul says, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. I don't know about you, but honestly, so much of this life is a journey, right? It's a journey. And as we have a relationship with Jesus, hopefully some of you do, and in our relationships with Jesus, it's just that it is a journey as well. And Along that journey, I believe that growth, like growth should always be at the forefront. That I wanna keep myself open, I wanna keep learning, I wanna keep pursuing Jesus. Now, you know, it's, it's great to pursue like the morality of Jesus. Like that's one thing, but so much of my prayers lately, whether it's been in private or in public has been to pursue the mind of Jesus, to pursue the mind of Jesus, because I don't know if you know this, but there is a battle going on for your thoughts. Uh, Dallas Willard, he's a writer, a philosopher, uh, says it this way, that what we think about at any given time is our first freedom. 
Because at any time we can choose to think on whatever we want and experience the effects of that. He says that the transformation in Christ's likeness begins when the word and the spirit enters our hearts and through our minds. Friends, like, I know Brenda alluded to this earlier. We use these, uh, these words from the Apostle Paul, particularly Philippians 4, 6, each and every week during our prayer and praise. But I'm here to tell you that there's a battle going on for your mind. There's a battle going on for your thinking. And the enemy, the way that he tends to attack us is what he does is he puts these little lies in our minds. And those little lies then feed our stress. They feed our worry. And then slowly but surely, we're submersed in this moment of anxiety. And as we just read, Paul, he has something to say about anxiety. In, I came to Gene earlier, uh, it was like a week and a half ago, and I was like, Gene, here's what I'm wrestling with with anxiety. Is, is all anxiety bad? Because I, here, here's an example. I, I, we could debate, we could argue at, at some point, but I wanna say like at some level, not all anxiety is bad. Like think about if you're a parent, uh, and I, I think about my little boys when they were finally able to go off to kindergarten and to step on that first step of the bus. Like, I was a little bit anxious. I was a little bit nervous for them. But I think where anxiety gets us sideways is when we misplace our trust. Is when we begin to believe the worst, the worst out of a situation the worst out of people and relationships. It's in these moments that they will dramatically affect our life. And I think on, on my own life, like most of the time they're inexplainable, they're illogical, and they're beyond my understanding. Like for example, some of you know, I've taken a slight interest in farming. Anybody know this? Have anybody followed me on Instagram? Yeah. I do, I, I've taken a slight interest. And I know looking at me, you would think like it doesn't compute, I don't understand, but it's true, okay? People say all the time, like Jordan, I would never would have guessed, I've uh, seen a video of you driving a, tra uh, driving a tractor or taking care of cattle, like, and I'll say, yeah, uh, yeah. But so much of my response has always been like, I never wanna quit learning new things. And we're not even in the message yet, but I think that's something that each and every, us, every one of us need to take hold of. Like, I never wanna quit learning new things. And so farming is just it for me. What's been cool is like, I have a couple of friends who've given me awesome opportunities to go out and see their farms, but not only see their farms, like be a part of their farming operations. Like, it's been really cool. Like, it's one thing to sit on, on the couch at home and watch uh, farming influencers on YouTube. Yes, that is such a thing. Yes, I do subscribe to them. But it's another thing to be out at 12.30 at night, driving a tractor in the middle of a field, like working the ground, running tillage. But hear me though, I didn't grow up on a farm, okay? And in this area, is, uh, when you think about our area, I was more of your city kid, if you will, okay? I took more interest in like my appearance and of girls, okay? That, that was my thing growing up. I, I, I don't know why those are the first things that rattle off, but that's very true to my life. 
And so Krista, my wife, like she didn't grow up in any type of farming either, but she did, uh, she was in rabbit club growing up, okay? And so many of you know her and um, each and every time the, the fair rolls around, like she's, she's really big into forage. She's really big into the fair. And so you can best bet that once our oldest boy, Mason, got of age, of course we were gonna put him into 4-H. Like, of course. Just makes sense. Now, I apologize in advance for this next part because I am no way speaking ill of any, any club. But thank goodness we didn't put Mason in rabbit club. Like, thank goodness. Part of my persuasive speech was to Krista, like, look, babe, like, we're just not, like, we're not rabbit people. Like, says the guy who knows nothing about rabbits that took more time in his appearance. But we're not, we're not rabbit people. Like, we, babe, we, we, we have friends that have land, that have farms. Like, it'd be great to get Mace a calf and put him in dairy feeder club. Like that just makes sense. Like if we are gonna do this 4-H thing, which I'm totally on board with, if we're gonna do this thing, like let's go big. Like what does that even mean? But my, my speech worked. Uh, we, we ended up getting calf, uh, a calf for Mason last year. It was his first year in 4-H as a dairy club uh, member. It was really cool. And then it happened for me. I became a farmer. Like, it's true. Uh, my farming friends would just, like, hate me for that. But um, it was cool. It was, it was perfect. But until, if you're following me, until we took a vacation in early June last year, you know, fairs in July, we got back from vacation in early June. I remember strolling into the barn thinking, yes, I'm back to my farming life, get to be back here twice a day. Like, this is great. I'm just living my best life right now, Right? And so as I strolled back into the barn, I came in and I'm looking at the calf, seeing how he's doing and all, and I noticed that there are spots on him. And okay, hold on. I, I know a calf has black and white spots, okay? Like, I know this, okay? I'm not that dumb. But there were spots on him, and, and at the time, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what those spots were until my buddy Craig is like, hey, man, like, uh, like that looks like ringworm. And I'm like, oh. Because what you don't know about ringworm and calves is if your calf has ringworm, it's basically a no-go for you bringing your calf to the fair and showing them. Like, they don't want these things at the fair. And I, like, I immediately began freaking out because my mind started to play this motion picture, if you will, in my head where my little dude, Mason, first year 4-H member, dairy feeder club, like, took a big step in his summer, like decided to learn something new and the movie then flashes to like all of his hard work, you know, like it's hot in the summer and he's gotta go out and fill the water, bucket, uh, water buckets up and bring them back to the barn, uh, barn and like, you know, the sweat is dripping off his forehead and then the movie flashes to him and his calf out in the pasture in the cool of the evening. He's walking it, like they're, 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 they're connecting, you know, and then, and then bam, Mood switches, music changes, and here's my little dude outside of the gates of, of, of the fair. As all the other 4-H's are starting to bring their animals into the fair, and here's my little dude with 
his head and his hands, disappointed because he can't show his calf. He's worked so hard. And there it hit me. In that moment, anxiety came over me. Now you might say, Jordan, like, is ringworm really a big deal? And I'd say, well, kinda. But most people came and when they talked to me, the vet, our friends, they're like, Jordan, you have seven weeks to get this thing figured out. You got this, like this is not a big deal. But I'm telling you, that didn't help because I had already put so much interest in the worst case scenario. Has anybody ever been there in their situation? I have put so much interest and effort in the worst case scenario, and that's where anxiety is just so weird. Because I don't know about you, but I get stressed out about certain things that I have no idea why. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make sense. But I wanna tell you, we did get it all worked out within those seven weeks, like Mace ended up showing his calf last year, and many of you actually stopped by the, the pen and took selfies with Oreo, was his name, like it was really cool. But if you were to ask me like what I get worked up about, like what I get anxious about is, uh, is I, I would say my, my calves. Not that AI has a possibility of taking over the world, let alone killing us all. No, 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 no. If, if you were to ask me what I get stressed out about is making sure I can get these two calves now to the fair by July 21st. That's what I'm worried about. It doesn't make any sense, right? Now I know that we're in difficult days and there's a lot to get anxious over. I know there's a lot of incredible resources that can and do help us in these moments of uh, overwhelming anxiety, but I would like to suggest this morning by the sheer statistics of where we are at with our anxiety, not only in this place, but our culture, our society, I'll go on record and say that we're not gaining a lot of ground in this, okay? Honestly, I felt a lot of anxiousness just preparing for this message here this morning, talking about anxiety. Because here's what I know. Yeah, my story might be silly and uh, might be lighthearted and not that big of a deal, but I do know, and I, I know of people even in my life that deal with severe anxiety, that it takes everything they have to just make it out of bed in the morning. And so I feel like this conversation is bigger than, than what I can bring. And I just wanna tell you, I'm no expert here, I'm no expert at all. But what Gene told me uh, early on is like, you know what? Step into it because God has given you some sort of authority to speak into it. And so I'm not here to give you a seven part process of to, to rid your life of all anxiety. Like that's, that's not it this morning. Like it's not believe it, number two, receive it, number three, achieve it. Like that's not where we're going this morning. But what I do wanna look at is, is chapter four here, because I think Paul has some takeaways for it. I think he actually has a prescription for you and I to step into, that today that you might come away from this conversation, I mean, my, my hope is that you find encouragement in whatever 
stressful moments you find yourself in because these words found here in Philippians make up an important letter. An important letter to the circumstances it was written in. It's an important letter to who it was written to. And it's an important letter for the promises that you and I have today. And what we know is Paul, he writes this letter to the church of Philippi and as he's doing so, he's, oh, he's on house arrest, okay? He's awaiting his sentencing. He's basically in prison, if you will, and, and what we know is that he's chained to a guard while awaiting his judgment. In the Philippian church, what they did, they, they ended up sending this guy to Paul. His name was Epaphroditus. Say that five times quick, right? Epaphroditus, I know. But they sent Epaphroditus to Paul because uh, they wanted to give Paul some money and they, they knew that he needed some sort of encouragement. And I'm sure the, the, the Philippians expected Epaphroditus to show up to Paul and to see Paul discouraged, to see him anxious. You know, all the kind of behavior that would be normal given Paul's situation here of, of being in prison. But what Epaphroditus found was Paul was actually stoked out of his mind. Like Paul was pumped over this situation because he, Paul, had been given opportunities to share Jesus with those who he might not have had the chance to share Jesus with. He goes as far as saying, no, I'm not chained to a guard. The guard is chained to me. And he gets to hear about Jesus. So what I love about Paul's writing here in chapter four is I really get the sense that Paul is, is writing to the Philippians. He's writing to us as well that there is a prescription, there's an antidote for these moments of chaos. There's these moments of overwhelming anxiety. And if we follow through Philippians here, chapter four specifically, that there is a way. Look at me, uh, look with me on Philippians 4, 4 again. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I love this so much because isn't it kind of like almost impossible to wrap your head around? He goes on to do what every good preacher does. He says it again. He's like, I'll say it again, rejoice. Like you have to understand where Paul is at, why he's writing this. He's basically on death row. Like for me, I'd be like, wait a minute, bro. Like Paul, are you rejoicing the Lord always? Like, are you serious about this right now? Like Paul, like... Paul, I can't rejoice because you have no idea what is going on in my home life right now. Paul, I can't rejoice. You have no idea what is going on at work. Paul, I know there's business owners in here. Like, Paul, I can't rejoice because of the responsibility. You can't imagine the responsibility that I feel for my employees in this economic environment right now. Paul, he's preaching from prison, right? And he starts by saying, Hey, church in Philippi, hey, church in downtown Goshen, rejoice in the Lord always. I know you're not gonna understand what I'm trying to say here, but I want you to get this. Like, I'm gonna double down on this. It's gonna sound like one of those churchy sayings, but I wanna tell you that it's a choice. It's a choice to rejoice. What's interesting, you might know this about rejoice, that word rejoice really in the Greek really means to be glad in. And I asked myself like, okay, Paul, like what are we to be glad in? Like what are we becoming glad in? It says 
We're to be glad in the Lord, right? To rejoice in the Lord. And that's what Paul is getting at. Not, not that we're to be glad in what, but we're to be glad in who? Because if you're only gonna rejoice in the what, let me just tell you, you're probably gonna be disappointed. Or that we're humans and we'll always find ourselves wanting more of something and so we want the bigger promotion, we want the bigger house, we want the bigger dreams. Like we're constantly moving on to the next thing and so, when, but when we begin to rejoice in who? Paul says when we rejoice in who? We're never gonna be able to stop praising him. Who is more important than what? That's why Paul says rejoice in the Lord. What I found in, in life of, or at least my journey with, with Jesus, that there's been moments of immaturity in my relationship with him. Like so many times I have waited for the moment to rejoice. Like I can only be glad in God when I'm happy. But the problem with happy is that we're not always happy. Like there are moments of peaks and valleys to this life. There's moments of real struggle, real heartache, real challenges. Like life is not always about happiness. The goal of life isn't to be happy. Because here's what I know about happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. And you and I don't get to control what happens to us. But Paul is reminding us, no, no, no. You have a choice to how you respond to those happen happenings. It's a choice to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. See, when you become glad in God, when you start rejoicing in, in, in him, what happens is the enemy, he gets confused. He doesn't know what to do with you. He doesn't know what to do with you. You've confused his plans, you confuse his schemes, and I'm telling you, there's something powerful here. I'm telling you that uh, when you're going through something painful, what the enemy wants to do is he wants you to dig a hole and he wants you to stay there but I'm telling you, when you begin to rejoice in him and stop rejoicing in the what, or if it ever happens, you begin to stop the enemy's schemes. Say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What's amazing when we choose to rejoice in the Lord, again, follow what Paul is saying here. We're just gonna work right through these verses. When we choose to rejoice in the Lord, what happens inside of us is that we become gentle. You might be saying, like, Jordan, like, I'm not going for gentle in life. But what I've found is in my most anxious moments of life, this might be you as well, in my most anxious times in life, the people that I love the most is who I'll hurt the worst. But when we rejoice in the Lord, not waiting for the moment if it ever comes or not, but when we rejoice in him, what happens inside of us is that we become gentle. He goes on to say that the Lord is near. It's not saying, I mean, 
I mean, it's true, like the Lord is returning, but that's not really what he's meaning here. He's not meaning like people get ready, Jesus is coming, soon we'll be going home. No, 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 that's not what he's really saying here. What he's saying is, simply put that, Jesus is close to you. The Lord is near. I don't know what your theology about God is, but I wanna tell you that God is not far from you. The anxiety that you feel from the situation that you might be in right now, come on, the answer to your problem is closer than you think. I'll go one step further, friends. The miracle to your, to, to, to your problem is not out there. He's in the building this morning. The Lord is near. Come on, the peace that you need is closer than you think God is near. Look at what Paul says in verse six. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious about anything. We hear that each and every week, and sometimes I chuckle. <laughs> like, really, Paul? Don't be anxious about anything. You might be sitting here and be like, not possible, Paul, not possible. Because if you're like me, when you read stuff in the Bible like this, you have to ask the all important question. How, right? Like Paul, like, like, like how, like Paul, not be anxious about a single thing, like how? How do I do, how is this even possible? Because I know for me, I can't claim this verse. I can't claim Philippians 4, 6 because I get anxious about small things like, like golf. Like, like what am I gonna wear to the golf course? Like I get worked up about stupid things. Do not be anxious about anything. There's a lot that you can get credit, be, uh, credit uh, for in my life, but that, that verse is not one of them. Because I get, I get anxious about dumb things, like the Amazon delivery guy who walks across my freshly mowed lawn. Like, I'm gonna be like, buddy, like, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna come out to your truck and I'm gonna show you how to deliver a package to my front door without walking on my lawn. Like, here, buddy, here's my driveway. Follow me, come on, this is great, come on, follow me. Oh, did you know I have a sidewalk? Keep coming, keep coming. This sidewalk does lead to my front door. You can leave the package right there. Do not walk across my lawn. It's always right after I mow. Like, come on. Don't be anxious about anything. Like, like y'all, that's beyond me. But I think that's the point that Paul is getting to here if you're taking notes, that it is beyond us, that this fight with anxiety is beyond me. In other words, your struggle with anxiety is not, Jordan, is not your solo fight. Meaning that these, these worries are not yours, they're not mine to try to figure out and to worry about and to solve on my own. As much as the human emotion tells me to, to isolate and drive myself to, to figure this out, you'll tell yourself that if I worry about it all today, 
I bet tomorrow I'll have peace. But that is a lie from the enemy. Worry is a pride because guess what? Worry doubts and questions God's ability. And what we do, we misplace truth. Paul's saying don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Like, I feel like there's a connection there between the two. The way to not be anxious in everything is in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There it is. Like the only way you're gonna break through these moments of anxiousness is through prayer. Which tells me that my problems are welcomed in God's presence. I don't know if you know this, but you can seriously bring any problem that you ever have into the presence of God. Like, you need to hear this. You don't get extra credit. I don't get extra credit for trying to figure out my problems on my own or keeping them to yourself. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Like, isn't there so much freedom in that? Knowing that there's nothing I can hide from God. That my problem doesn't have to be this big or this heavy. Like God's not up there with a scale that says, mm, Jordan, that problem's a little bit small today. Can't deal with it. Now God wants it all. We're to bring our prayers with thanksgiving, which is weird. It doesn't really seem appropriate in the mix of a, an anxious moment that we're to be like, oh, I'm supposed to be thankful too. Like, like how is this possible? Paul is saying as we bring these requests, these fears, these worries to God, that we're to look back and remember the ways in which God moved back there. David Guzik is a commentator that I follow, and every time I do study, I, I look up his notes, and he says, uh, he says it this way about thankfulness. Having gratitude will alter the atmosphere of your heart and makes your heart suitable for the peace of God to dwell. That's why it's so important to come to God with our request, with this thanksgiving. Because there, here's the, here's. Here's the promise, you ready for it? Verse seven says, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. That word transcends and the peace of God which transcends, basically, it, it, it's basically that, it, it goes beyond our understanding. It goes beyond what we can figure out. I'm here to tell you that God is God and he has ways and understandings that I can't even begin to figure out. And what happens is, is that there's this peace that comes along and it begins to guard us. It guards our hearts, it guards our minds. That word guard there really is like this, really means this military action, if you will, like God is putting an army, soldiers around your heart and your mind. Instead of trying to, to carry the weight of the worst case scenario, instead of isolating yourself, instead of trying to Google 
to get through. Instead of trying to control the uncontrollable, God is saying, I can carry that for you. I'm closer than you think, and I'm here to give you a peace that goes beyond your understanding. And when you're alone, when you're by yourself, and when your mind tends to worry, I'm gonna guard those thoughts. I'm gonna guard your heart. So people can come up to say to you, like, how are you not freaking out right now? Haven't you heard it's gonna get worse out there? Like, you can say, you know what? God's guarding me. Like, you got some pretty terrible news at the doctor last week. How in the world are you not terrified right now? God's guarding me. How are you not worried? How are you not Googling, trying to figure out how to best overcome this situation? You know what? He's guarding me. Chris and I, we both dealt with some health issues earlier this year, like, man, we're just getting older. <laughs> it sucks. And there was looming issues there, and with that, you can imagine there's questions. And looking back, I have no freaking clue how I made it through those moments. Normally, I'd be all sorts of messed up. Like, if you can imagine, like, I get worked up over calves, you can imagine I get worked up about, like, health issues. I couldn't quite verbalize it back then to her, but I remember Krista telling me at some point, she's like, I don't know, like, you're doing so good through this. And as I've done this study through Philippians 4, I'm starting to understand that God guarded me. That's the title of this message, that we're guarded. It's like his peace. I brought these requests to God and it was his peace. I don't, I don't know how it happened, but it was like his peace surpassed my understanding and his peace went straight into my heart. So at that point, right now I can say God was guarding me. As the team come up, comes up, we're gonna, we're gonna land on verse eight this morning. We're, we're bringing this to a close, all right? So you can bring your prayers to God. But if you're allowing your thoughts to run crazy, here's what happened. Paul gives us another prescription here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He's not just talking about your anxious moments there. What he's talking about is your everyday thoughts. Because the enemy can use your thought life as a way of sabotaging the very peace of God that he's trying to give you. Look, you can't expect for God's peace to come over your mind if you're only giving God a piece, a piece of your mind. What Paul is after here is that we have to give God our anxieties, our praises, but also our thoughts. You can't feed your mind with what strengthens your negativity. Come on, I've tried. You can't have a positive life with a negative mind. It's not possible. You have to fight back against those thoughts. 
Like we have to get to the root of the issue. So here's the homework. What Paul is saying is like, is it true in your life? Is what you're thinking about true? Well, I, I, I feel like it's true, God. Like, no, not a, good, not a good reason. Not a good test for you. Is it notable? Is it noble? Like, is there depth to what you are thinking? It, believe me, it's okay to think about frivolous things like if the Chicago White Sox are ever gonna get back to leading the division, like, it's okay to think about. But what God is after, he's after deep thinking. Are you focusing too much of your time on temporary things? Is it right? How many of you know the hardest thing, well, I should say it this way. How many of you know that the right thing is always the hardest thing? Is it pure, is it lovely? Are you thinking about bitterness? Are you thinking about vengeance, a way to get back? Paul is saying never think about criticism. Is what you're thinking about generous? Are you generous? If not, stop dwelling on it. Like this is good news. This is encouraging, Paul, because listen, church, shoot, I'm, I'm, I wanna tell myself here right now that, that I do not have to believe, you do not have to believe every thought that comes across your heart, every thought that comes across your mind. You don't have to accept anything, everything that comes across your mind. Verse nine, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. Not just on Sundays, but your Mondays, your Tuesdays, your Wednesdays, your Thursdays. And the peace of God will be with you. It doesn't say the peace of God will visit you. It doesn't say the peace of God will vacation with you. It doesn't say the peace of God will only meet you on Sundays. It says the peace of God will be with you. The same God who started the peace in you is there to sustain that peace. Yo, this world is unstable. It's shaky at best. Come on now. You can't control the weather. You can't control the people around you. But the peace of God wants to sustain you. I want to land on this. Just how Paul encouraged the Philippians that right now, this isn't necessarily prophetic by any means because like we said at the beginning, the, the sheer number of, of us facing anxious things in our life. But if I was a betting man this morning, I'm not, but if I was a betting man, I would imagine that there's some of us facing some overwhelming, looming, anxious moments in our life. And you have tried to fight it, you've tried to figure it out, you have you have Googled what it means to whatever diagnosis and you've tried to look on WebMD, whatever it may be, like you have done the hard work. God is saying, take one more step and give it to me. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family. <laughs>